Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of the Geek Buddies. Hey! We're back at it again with our weekly dose of geeky goodness here on the show. We're excited to get into it. Let's introduce ourselves. I'm the Outlaw John Roca, writer, producer, and host here on the Outlaw Nation. Mike, I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. Shannon. And this is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor where you can currently see me on the Geek Buddies where I'm fighting with my gardener, the gardener next door, who is using a weed whacker very loudly outside the window. So if you hear that, I apologize. If it gets real bad, I'll mute. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't even Fair hear enough. anything. Yeah, I can't hear anything either. So I think apparently, these, apparently these earbuds are amazing because it is real loud. <laughs> Technology has uh, come, a long, come a long way for sure. Uh, and you know what else has come a long way? Carbon Health! In supporting us and our relationship with Carbon Health, they are fantastic, powering and sponsoring the Geek Buddies and the Outlaw Nation. If you've got any questions about your healthcare, any concerns or needs you need to have addressed with your healthcare stuff, head on over to CarbonHealth.com and go take a look and see what the, what the options are there for you to explore having those questions answered or having those issues explored. They believe in creating personal healthcare plans for everybody. They even have an app. To have a doc in your pocket, download the Carbon Health app and you can find out if there's a Carbon Health uh, clinic or urgent care near you or you can do it virtually as well. So they, they take care of all of that for you. Go to CarbonHealth.com, 100 plus locations all over the country, 80 plus locations in California alone. They believe in fostering community and communities like ours. They love working with us. So, all right, let's get into the things that we're going to get into here. The way the show works is uh, we each present a geek news item, take a mini break. We'll jump into our main topic. And our main topic is going to be our prey review. And I imagine it'll be a spoiler review. So if you haven't seen the movie, uh, you can stop after the third, uh, three news items. But if you have seen the movie, buckling, because we're going to have a fun discussion about it for sure. All right, Mikey, you're starting us off. Where are we going? I am. Well, you know, sadly, we're going to start on a sad note today. Uh, you know, it kind of seems, you know, every once in a while we go through these phases where uh, we lose a lot of people that we've all grown and uh, grown up with and looked up to. Uh, we lost Nichelle Nichols a few weeks ago, and yes. now um, we have lost Olivia Newton-John, who passed away uh, this past week um, at the age of 73. Um, her husband announced her death, uh, did not give specific reasons in the statement, although he did cite the breast cancer diagnosis she's lived with since 1992. And in 2017, she announced that her cancer had returned and spread. So although we don't know for sure, we think, uh, that probably is likely the culprit. Um, but yeah, Olivia Newton-John, you know, for most of us, she will always be Sandy, um, but had a crazy career filled with ups and downs, uh, always had a smile, kind of one of those amazing people uh, who just really actually lived an amazing life. I mean, beyond 
obviously Greece, which we all know really well, and Xanadu, which if you're a gay man, you also know really well. Um, You know, she obviously, she had uh, a very uh, robust singing career. Um, When she did get breast cancer, she became a huge advocate for breast cancer. Um, She was just an amazing lady and, uh, you know, went through lots of marriages, lots of struggles in her life. But like I said, always managed to have a smile, always was positive about it, always was an advocate for others. Uh, and like I said, we'll always, always, always be Sandra D. So, uh, gentlemen, <laughs> what, what do you think? Uh, how, how are you feeling about uh, the passing of Olivia Newton-John? Uh, Shannon, thoughts? Well, obviously, it's certainly very sad. She is one of those folks, even though she hadn't done a ton in recent years, um, but she was one of those folks who would pop up at events. And as Vogel said, like she always just had a smile on her face. I mean, growing up in my house, I mean, my first crush forever and will always be Princess Leia. But because my older sisters were such huge Grease fans and wore out two copies of the VHS, um, you know, Sandra D was right behind her. And it definitely uh, cemented um, my, my taste because I was like, oh, the, you know, this blonde Australian, she's so pretty and charming. And then she becomes the bad girl at the end. I'm like, I don't know. I don't like where you're going, Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, again, she is just one of those folks that always would pop up and just seem so positive. There was a guy that I had worked with in Orlando who I think was kind of borderline uh, a a crazy fan um, because he had all these pictures with Olivia Newton-John with different pictures of the two of them together. Um, But she always, uh, you know, she she had good camera face. I mean, she always had a smile. Um, you know, he would talk about how they had a personal relationship and this is where we get to that borderline. I'm like, eh, maybe, <laughs> but again, based off of his memorabilia and her, her appearances, again, she always just seems, uh, seemed like an, like an incredibly happy person. So, you know, yeah. obviously very, very sad to see, uh, to see what happened. Yeah. And as Mike said, a woman who's lived quite a few lives, you know, and, uh, been successful in almost all of them. Right. I mean, you would say she's so she's won four Grammys. She sold a hundred million albums. She had three number one songs. And also one of the most, uh, was one of the most iconic characters in one of the most iconic musicals ever made in Greece, you know, and that still persists. People still perform. People still dress up as Sandy and all, all the th- stuff that she created there. And she wasn't, going to do the role like that's the thing that people don't know like she was hesitant because of what had happened on a couple of previous films so she wasn't sure that she wanted to go into acting because she was finding success as a singer why try that why do that uh and uh she was absolutely incredible and we're all the better for it that she did um she also you know lost a boyfriend i think in 2000 was it 2005 yeah Yeah, lost uh patrick mcdermott her uh, boyfriend was lost at sea and never found and so for her, she said she had a very hard time dealing with that. And then you throw in the cancer diagnosis. And this was the third cancer diagnosis that she was fighting off. And so as, as someone whose father uh, passed away from a, when the cancer came back a second time, I understand it just comes for you when it comes for you. And if it comes back, it comes back with even more force every time, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And sadly, at only 73 years old, we're all yeah. living so much more longer than we used to. So it is kind of tragic that she passes away at what I would consider to still be a young age in in terms of how people are living nowadays jane fonda has been reborn in her 70s all over again so why would we have got i, I imagine at some point we would have gotten a living john coming back to acting yeah. coming back to singing or something to kind of revitalize our love for her 
all over again. But Shannon, you said it best. She always had a smile on her face, always made people feel comfortable. You watch interviews with her. She gives so much. She just has one of those radiant, positive energies in the world. And sadly, having to lose her uh, you know, to cancer is, is a shame. But she, le- she leaves an incredible legacy, gentlemen, an incredible legacy that I think most people who existed in her time when she got famous in the 1970s, 1980s, would love to have that kind of a legacy to leave uh, for so many people to follow for generations to come. Oh yeah, I, I was on a, on my first gay cruise that I went Ooh. on several years ago. Yes. Uh, you know, they have like the big night where they fly somebody onto the boat and perform, and they were doing uh, the the musical Grease was being performed in the theater. Uh, so they had a whole cast doing Grease, and then they flew Olivia Newton John in, yeah. and the entire Grease cast got to perform on stage with her except the girl who played Sandy who had to sit that one out because she was playing Sandy. So you had, you know, some guy playing Danny Zuko on this gay cruise, like getting to sing with Olivia Newton-John, happiest he's ever been. And it was great. Like, I, it was like one of those things that was so silly but funny. This was her lineup. This was her lineup. They came out. They sang Summer Nights. They sang You're the One That I Want. Yes. No, wait, I'm sorry. She came out and sang Xanadu. Oh, then yeah. Then they sang Summer Nights. Then she sang, then they sang You're the One That I Want. She sang Hopelessly Devoted to You, Let's Get Physical, Ooh. Xanadu Again, yeah. You're the One That I Want, Another Time, and then closed it out with Xanadu one more time. And I will tell you, there was not a gay man on that boat that was disappointed in that lineup. <laughs> it, was, it was quite a show. It was quite a show. <laughs> Xanadu three times, let's do it one more. It was great. <laughs> but for Patricia, who played Sandy in the musical, oh, she, was, she was backstage getting loaded. <laughs> You do. Yeah, like we're all like we're all watching this thing, and we're like, "Oh, look, she's out! Oh, the cast of Grease gets to come out." And my friend Reed looks at me. He goes, "Well, I feel really bad for the actress who's playing Sandy. I'm going to tell you that right now." She's probably like, "Go ahead. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. Do your thing. I'm going to go to the buffet." Uh, either way, just a fantastic uh, woman who leaves, as we said, an incredible legacy, and she will be sorely missed by so many. But she will also be rediscovered every generation, I believe, for her performance in Greece. So that's a good thing in life for sure. Uh, all right, let's move on to our next topic here. It's a might be a little less tragic, but then maybe it might be more tragic. I don't know. Uh, but Ed, there's more updates here going on with DC, you know, all the hullabaloo that we spoke about last week. And thanks to so many who watched our episode from last week, almost 9,000 views. Thank you very, very much. Uh, we talked about the DC stuff as it was breaking the day, the uh, back row being axed David Zaslav's conversations, the earnings call that happened as well that day, uh, later on that day, a lot of stuff broke that day talking about what he was looking at, not looking at what the approach was. We've heard that they've made, I've seen some reports where they've made $800 million off these recent cuts in tax write-offs and all this uh, stuff. So certainly some business decisions that have rumpled some feathers, but amidst all this madness is the Flash movie where that has really polarized and divided a lot of the fandom because there are people who say, I don't want to see this movie. Why is this movie still existing if this uh, person, Ezra Miller, is causing all this mayhem and drama and other people are like, I don't care. I want to see the movie. I want to see what it's all about. Well, here's a new item to add to the battle here. Ezra Miller um, was uh, arrested here and charged with felony burglary, uh, according to Rolling Stone. And Vermont, and and they also uh, put out an, a little bit of an. They also put an article yesterday talking about uh, what's going on in Vermont. That the child services department there is attempting to locate a mother and three children who have allegedly been residing at Miller's farm in the state. 
And this burglary was about stealing alcohol, something as simple as stealing alcohol. But it's, you, it could be that could be like an innocent thing. An who hasn't like, you know, taken alcohol from their parents cabinet or whatever. You could probably blow that off. But when you throw it on top of the pile, it seems like yet another headache for them. And now we're hearing, according to The Hollywood Reporter, that they are actually looking at three possible scenarios for this flash movie um that they they've got indications Warner Brothers does that 29 that uh, Miller will whose mother has accompanied the actor in recent days will seek professional help after returning to their farm the second scenario is if Miller doesn't reach out for help Warner's could still release the film and just remove Miller from any of the press tours or whatever and make Michael Keaton probably the main person promoting the movie and then the third case is they actually are considering the possibility of canceling the film which would be massive is $200 million film. There's certainly probably $300 million involved in production costs and advertising already involved in this as well. So it's massive what's going on here. Plus uh, Zaslav mentioned that they're going to slow down on production on Green Lantern on uh, a ton of Hasey Coates is uh, Superman on, uh, um, on Supergirl and on static shock. Uh, but they're going forward with the blue beetle movie. So at least that was a positive thing. And Joker two, and Aquaman 2, and Shazam, and Black Adam, and all those. So, gentlemen, uh, what do you think about the latest Ezra, Ezra Miller update, and what do you think about what's going on in D.C. now with all this fallout from the Batgirl film being axed? Well, uh, you know, according to the article, it said that Ezra Miller's mother had been accompanying them yeah. to things recently. So hopefully that is a step in the right direction. I mean, I, the film, DC, all that aside, this is a clearly troubled individual who looks like they need some help. So hopefully um, one of the parents getting involved in some capacity, again, is a step in the right direction. If Ezra does go out on that apology tour, I mean, yeah. uh, it, 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 it would be... It would be an interesting thing uh, to witness because I don't feel like anything like this has really happened. Um, you know, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but that would be interesting to see. And also, it's still June. I mean, that's mm. 10 months away. I mean, a lot can happen in 10 months. I mean, the public can have a very short memory at times. So if Ezra goes out on this apology tour and the film comes out and is a huge hit, and it successfully resets the DC universe um, as people had speculated, yeah. then great. Uh, I, I, I don't know how promoting a Flash movie without the Flash works. Um, it seems like it, there's, I mean, I'm sure they will, maybe not a successful way, but they, they will figure a way out to do it. Um, Again, I don't know if it would work, but the idea that they would cancel this huge, huge temple film that, again, is so uh, crucial to their cinematic un universe going forward. It's like, I, I, again, two weeks ago, none of us would have thought they would have killed a $90 million movie. Yeah. But if they are playing the long game and they are concerned with the optics of the brand... Uh, it would be it would be as you said pretty unprecedented that they would uh, that they would bury a two hundred million dollar movie that was going to be the linchpin for your franchise going forward. As far as the slowdown of the development on the other movies, 
not a, not as surprising mm. um just because like obviously we don't know where they were in in the development of those other of those other features but depending on how they were spinning off of the flash i think they kind of need to figure out what they're going to do with the flash before they figure out how they move forward yeah. um yeah i mean it, it it'll be really it'll be really really interesting to see because you know the media can can take something and run wild with it mm. and they're there were, you know, blurbs and articles saying that Ezra Miller had like a cult going yes. in Iceland. I mean, and and that could be true. It might not. I don't know. <laughs> so it again, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. My guess is that that Ezra Miller apology tour is what they want. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. We'll see if that pans out, though. Yeah, fair. Mike, what do you think about this? I mean, two hundred million dollar film that they see as the tent pole. It's the first time that the reports are coming out that they're actually considering it. And what do you think about all the other slowdown and the uh, confirmation of the DC films that are happening? I mean, <laughs> here's the th it, it, it's listen. This is one of those. I, I would not want to make this decision. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be this this guy. But being in the cheap seats where I'm not the one who actually has to make the decision, I don't see how Ezra. Like we keep talking about. Flashpoint being this tent pole for DC films that's going to successfully reboot the DC universe and get them back on track. But when the lead of your movie, apology tour or not, yeah, is sort of this tainted, is this the right foot forward? Particularly if they don't yeah. do this apology tour, they're talking about, well, then we'll release the movie with Ezra Miller in it, but they won't do a lot of the PR, and then we're gonna recast The Flash. So you're telling me you're gonna use this movie to reboot your universe and get you back on track, and then instantly take that person out and replace them with a new actor. So it's, and, and, and one of the stories that kind of got buried in the avalanche of things that came out um, that was on Twitter is the, is the idea that, you know, the creative team on Batgirl kept asking Warner Brothers how they were having a Michael Keaton Batman, yes. but a J.K. Simmons Commissioner Gordon. And the answer was, don't worry, we've got it figured out. And first of all, no, you don't. So no, you don't have it figured out clearly. Because second of all, if you did have it figured out, that would probably have to be inherent in the script and the way these characters interacted with each other. So when you're telling your creative teams, hey, don't worry, we've got this figured out at a bigger level, but that's not being executed on the day to day. And then you go, wow, I wonder why these test screenings for this movie weren't great. You don't have it figured out. So I think there's like, like, look, Ezra Miller is the shiniest problem that they have because they just can't seem to stay out of trouble. Um, and that is a huge issue for them. Yeah. But I think at the center of all this, like, you know, it, you you look at and the optics are just not good. You've got a you've got a uh, a minority led creative team, a minority lead in Batgirl that gets just shelved because of apparently bad test screenings, and then you have Ezra Miller getting every opportunity, bending over backwards. Let's give him the apology tour. Let's do whatever we need to do to get this movie yeah. out. And I get it's apples and oranges, and I get one was on HBO Max, and one is this tent pole that's supposed to fix the DC universe. But at the end of the day, you, you got to burn it all to the ground. I mean, like, honestly, at this point, like, this whole 
Some of our movies are these auteur films, but we also do want this universe because we see that Marvel is the most successful franchise in movie history and who wouldn't want that? So we kind of want it, but we also want to be able to not do it when we don't want to do it. And we had some movies, but then we canceled some movies, but these movies are going forward, but we're not doing these. And then Ezra Miller is a disaster, but we still want this movie to come out because it seems like the fans are really excited for it. So let's try and make it happen. It's like, you need to burn this all to the fucking ground. (laughs) there it is and just start from scratch like you you are it is it is so everything i mean whether you like the different pieces or not like the Snyderverse or not to Snyderverse. We've got Joss Whedon's Justice League. We got this Justice League. We don't know what the fuck we're doing with Superman on any given day. We've got 35 Batmans running around from three different universes. Like it is just such an unholy mess. And Flashpoint, we've, and we've talked about it. Flashpoint in success was going to be this thing that took that whole mess and hit the big giant reset button. And now you got Ezra Miller at the helm of that button and everyone is like, don't let him touch it. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. These are all excellent points you make. Like, I don't know if I agree with burning to the ground, but certainly you can see the logic of it. Cause if this 10 pole picture was supposed to reset everything and you're not going to uh, issue the, the film, then you can absolutely burn it to the ground. I've seen so much over the last few days where people talk about recasting wonder woman with Anna de Armas. I've seen people saying, and, th- and there might be some credit to this, is that Zaslav does not like the idea of the nostalgia of bringing Michael Keaton back. I mean, they've removed him off the Aquaman 2 film. They had Ben Affleck come back, and from according to a couple sources who I trust, told me that, that they shot those scenes with Michael Keaton in Aquaman 2, and they removed Michael Keaton and brought Ben Affleck in. Now you've killed the Batgirl movie with Michael Keaton in it. If you kill the Flash movie, Michael Keaton doesn't appear at all. This nostalgia trip that we were going to take with Michael Keaton, Batman, does not happen at all. And so you talk about, I don't want to be one of those people making the decisions. That is tied to the decision if they if they make it to kill um, the Flash movie. We no. get we never see Michael Keaton again in Baz Batman on screen, only with pictures. Only in pictures that we've gotten so far. And that's going to cause a massive uproar, I think, with the fans as well. So that's another thing you have to tie into this. Look, for me, my patience is worn thin for Ezra. So I don't give a shit about an apology tour. I'm just tired of us always forgiving people because they're trouble. Uh, we, there has to be a limit. And hey, the same thing. I'm going to jettison my car to a fucking house and set it on fire and almost kill a woman. If she had been in her living room, she would have been dead because I got problems. Fuck that nonsense. I'm just getting so sick of it, of seeing all this stuff from celebrities because studios are always giving them enough rope because we're going to make money off of them, giving them enough rope. And I think Ezra Miller has more had, had has had more than enough chances off multiple franchises, by the way, to, to, to deal with this. And so to me, this all is becoming crazier and crazier. And I think, Michael, you hit on a great point. Do you want this person and all the stuff surrounding this person to be the point person for your reset? It, 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 it brings a negative energy into your reset and you're supposedly trying to remove the negative energy by doing this reset, this negative energy of the past of all the, the, the DC films and stuff that have happened in the past. So to me, that's where you, you have the problem here. So I, I don't know. In the end, we'll see what they decide to do. Most likely they will release the film. I think it's like when you hit the airlock and everything's flying out, but you're holding on. It feels like Warner <laughs> Brothers is holding on to the side of the ship. 
to stay on this ship somehow. But I do think, but I do, and look, I get it. Like Zaslav was brought in and was told, you know, you've got to cut X number of billions of dollars. Mm. And like, it's the whole thing is a fucking mess, but yeah, business. Yeah. this is where you've got to getting this one movie out the door if it doesn't do what it needs to do like you everything you're saying about Ezra Miller yeah. everything you're saying about celebrities 100% true but that to me is like the lesser of the problems yeah there's a side it's, it's a yeah, big yeah, it's a enough. big problem but fair it's enough. it's it's the lesser of the problems the bigger problem is that when you look and look there's articles about like everyone tries to do what Feige and Marvel and Disney have yeah. done and like it's it's a lot harder than it looks but the reason that it's harder is because there is a level of patience and persistence. You can't say you're going to bring in Michael Keaton from another universe, get fans excited, and then have Zaslav go, I don't like it, if that's true. I don't know if it is or not. But there is a level of you you pick something, and despite this one movie not performing as well, or people not loving so-and-so's performance, or this didn't quite work, or that didn't quite work, you're allowed a couple recastings in there, but yeah. like... You, you you just keep pushing forward and saying this is the big story we're telling and nothing can get in the way of that. And DC and Warner Brothers just seem to be littered with uh, take backsies. Like it's like, hey, we were going down this road, take backsies. Nope, we're doing this now. Okay. Oh, you like this one. So even though this one isn't part of that one, maybe we're going to jam them together. Like you just, they, it, it just really literally feels like they're making decisions every six months, not every three years. And I think that that's why they've just stumbled and stumbled and stumbled. Like, I don't, you know, uh, we all know I don't like the Zack Snyder movies, but had they Wait, stuck what? with, yeah, I know, it's a shocker <laughs> to anyone who's listening. But I would have much preferred them to stick with those characters in that story and bring on a different creative team that sort of got it back on the right track. Yeah. Than to like pull it all away and do it, like, what they've done. Like, do I like the fact that they had an aged Batman and we skipped over all the best Batman stories and we skipped over the Robins and we skipped over everything? No, I didn't like it. I thought that was a waste. But rather than taking it back and doing a different thing and starting a new Batman thing, you keep going. And then somewhere in there, you do the prequel series where you're doing the Batman flashback saga. Like, mm. you just have to keep going. And they've just never been able to grasp that. Yeah. Zack Snyder is sitting back there with a smile on his face watching this all happen. You know, because... In a way, he kind of climbs out of this looking better than ever. So it's yeah. funny as hell. Well, I mean, the Zack Snyder Justice know. League worked. The Zack Snyder Justice League worked, you know? So it, it exists, which is more than you can say for most of these other movies that are getting shelved. So, yes, it exists and we can watch it. Um, does it work? That's a whole other debate for another day. That's fine. All right, well, let's move on. Shannon, you got us uh, into our next topic. What do you got, brother? So, you know, it happens where actors get linked to a role, actors do a role, mm. and then there's talk, are they going to do that role again? So we had a trio uh, of little news blurbs happen in the past week and a half. And uh, one of those is talking about uh, the Punisher about John Bernthal and this this actually happened because of Rosario Dawson she was at a uh, Chicago uh, convention and she had heard or she 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 had heard and then she repeated in an interview that uh, that uh, Bernthal was going to be coming back as the Punisher um, she actually said 
I heard the San Diego Comic-Con announcement, but I found out yesterday that the Punisher is happening again. So I feel like it's my my second chance because it was the only one of the Defenders shows I wasn't in. And I love John Bernthal, so let's all make it happen. Collectively, you guys, because as you know, Rosario Dawson played uh, uh, Claire Temple in some of those Netflix uh, uh, Marvel shows. But then she came back and said, I can't be trusted. Getting intel from fans during signings is iffy, apparently. My bad. I get excited. Confirmation is key when you're told what you want to hear. So Rosario Dawson has uh, has had some loose lips in the past. Yeah. So whether or not she got this information at a fan signing or if she accidentally revealed something that wasn't supposed to be revealed to the public yet, you know, it remains to be seen. But we have heard that John Bernthal is one of those Netflix players who could be integrated into the MCU at some points. Now, keeping on Marvel, uh, another actor who I listened to uh, uh, his uh, WTF interview with Mark Maron recently, which was from a few months ago. And we have been pronouncing this gentleman's name wrong for a long time. We have been saying Giancarlo Esposito. It is Giancarlo Esposito. Mm -hmm. But he revealed that he has, uh, like many Hollywood actors, has met with Marvel in some capacity. Uh, And obviously the fans are, you know, wanting him for a villain role. But he revealed that the character that he would like to take on would be none other than Professor X, if he had to pick. Uh, You know, based off of his work in... Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, the 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 uh, uh, inclination is to automatically peg him as a villain, but a uh, Giancarlo Esposito Professor X, I think could be an interesting thing. And keeping under the Disney umbrella, but switching franchises over to Star Wars, uh, at the conclusion of The Rise of Skywalker, many of those key players um, announced their intention not to return. And one of those was Oscar Isaac, where he had said in some interviews that he'd lived in green screen land for a while. He really wants to get back to sort of character driven, more independent projects. Uh, but now, according to uh, the articles in Variety, but I think he actually gave the interview on uh, Sirius, he revealed that he would be more than open to coming back as, uh, as Poe Dameron. And he actually said, I don't know. I'm open to anything. You never know. I have no real feeling one way or another. I'm open to any good story. Time is the one thing that becomes challenging as you get older and kid as as you get older and kids and all that. Where do movies fit in? If there was a great story and a great director and Kathy Kennedy came to me and was like, I have this great idea. I'm so open to it. So, gentlemen, what do you think? This trio of uh, possible new characters, possible returning characters, Oscar Isaac, John Bernthal, Giancarlo Esposito. What's your take? Well, let me say first, Rosario's lying. She said what she said, <laughs> and I think the, the powers that be got a hold of her and said, blame the fans. Second of all, uh, I'll make this quick. Esposito is X? Absolutely. Let's make it happen. I love it. It worked for Nick Fury with Samuel L. Jackson. Yes, I know there was a comic book that did it first, but it still worked. So I'm down to see that. I would love to see his version of Professor X. He's a fantastic actor. Uh, And the third part, I've been saying this for a while now, that I felt like they're going to come back, Ridley and Boyega and Isaac, once they have a little bit of time away. So no surprise, because Ridley, I think, said that she'd consider it recently. Boyega, I think, has also kind of let it slip that he's kind of thought about it. And now Oscar Isaac, the third member of that trio, 
absolutely interested in it. And I think what they've seen, what they've seen is the success of the Mandalorian, John Fol- uh, Dave Filoni, John Favreau, their combination, the uh, the Kenobi series, the Boba Fett series. They see that there's a completely different approach, and fans are excited again. And if Andor knocks it out of the park, good night. I think that's the final thing to get all three of them excited to possibly come back in either series or movies again. We shall see, but no surprise. And I think Oscar Isaac has done more than just think about it, and I think he does have a strong feeling. But I also think the Moon Knight experience under the Disney banner may have also excited him to come back and be part of Disney again as well. Mike? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much in sync with John. Uh, yeah, Rosario Dawson, come on. You <laughs> you know you heard that The Punisher was happening, and then Marvel, call- Kevin Feige called you on his phone and said, hey, what are you doing? And you, oh, my God. Um, because, like, it is true. Like, we, you know, we take all these little morsels, and we take so-and-so said this, and we pick it apart. But what the truth is, like, these actors are in these Marvel meetings, and they're talking to people, and everyone's talking internally, and they do just talk about stuff as yeah. if it's known, and then stuff slips out. So I, I think just given the fact that we're getting this Daredevil series, uh, that we know the characters that are coming back, we know how much, as fans, we all felt like John Barenthal just nailed it as the Punisher. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's coming back, not really surprising. Funny that Rosario Dawson did let it slip the way she did, but I, I'm willing to take that as pretty much confirmation on my part. Like, I, when this announcement does officially come out, we will all be like, yes, we knew that because Rosario had told us so. <laughs> uh, uh, Giancarlo Esposito, I think, look, I think this is brilliant. I, I, whether or not he ends up playing Professor X, like, you know, like, he didn't get the call. He didn't have to come out the next day and say oh, we didn't have that conversation. So I think maybe it is a little bit more. He's just kind of throwing that out there because he would love that. And he probably had some meeting. Like, like, I think every actor in Hollywood has probably met. Every actor, director, everyone has met with Marvel to to have some conversation. Um, That being said, I think it's a great idea. I think we talked about this a very long time ago when we were talking about mutants in the MCU. And just like, look, the classic story of Professor X and particularly Magneto is that Magneto was in the concentration camps and just given timelines and history, I don't know that that makes as much sense for a Magneto that was going to come around in 2025. Mm. Um, So uh, kind of shifting gears and rethinking these two and their origin and who they might be and what they might look like and why they might feel the way they feel. I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff to play there. So I think uh, I would be 1,000% on board with him uh, as Professor X. And I am 1,004% on board with Oscar Isaac coming back. Look, I think everything we were saying about Warner Brothers in DC a few minutes ago, it also applies to Star Wars. Uh, Is the new trilogy my favorite? Not especially. Like, I really got excited about Force Awakens. I was one of the ones who really loved most of Last Jedi. And then I just felt like Rise of Skywalker was just the biggest thud in the Star Wars universe. Like, I just think it's one of the worst because it just was a giant, a bunch of Band-Aids trying to do take backsies again. It's like, hey, we did this, but we really did this. Hey, look, Poe Dameron does have a girlfriend. He can't like Finn. Boo, 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 boo. Like, it was just so many things that were in there that were just like, what is even going on? But that being said, I like these characters. These movies came out. It's part of the canon. It's part of the timeline. I think that even though Oscar Isaac said he spent a lot of time in green screen land, I think what he really hated about that entire process was there was no arc for Poe Dameron. 
There was no real story. He, Great him, point. and Daisy Ridley and John Boyega, their characters were all flip flopping back and forth as much as anybody else was because of the JJ to Ryan to JJ thing. So, I think if any of the three of them got the opportunity to go, hey, here's an actual story. Yeah. Here's what we look. Do I want Poe and Finn to get together and be like the hottest gay couple in a galaxy far, far away? Thousand percent, I do. And I think it would be awesome if they did that. But even if they don't do that. If they yeah. said, hey, Poe, here's the story that we want you, here, here's the Finn, here's the Ray of it all, here's the Poe of it all, and here's an actual arc that you get to play, like he did in Moon Knight, I yeah. think that's what he's craving. And I do think you're right, John, that I think they're seeing Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen coming out and saying, oh my gosh, we kind of had this really rough experience on the prequels, yes. but this was amazing, this experience was so good. You've got Rosario Dawson like diving into Ahsoka and getting to push this story forward. And I think you're right. I mean, I'm 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 fully expecting at this point, I'm probably overhyping myself, that Andor is gonna be the, the Star Wars show of all Star Wars shows to be. Yeah. And so with all of these things going on, any one of them looks back and go, well, if that team wants me and they're going to help tell a story about Ray or Finn or Poe, I'm in. Like, I want that. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we did see something like that in the very near future. For sure. Shannon, any final words on this? No, no. I'm just, I'm, I'm excited that when they're going to announce John Bernthal to be in Thunderbolts. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what I'm looking forward to. Me too. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. All right, let's take a quick break. We're going to jump into our Prey spoiler review. We'll right back right after this. If it bleeds, we can kill it. All right, let's jump into our spoiler review here for Prey. It's out on Hulu now. A lot of people talking about it. Number one premiere of anything Hulu has ever done movie or tv series that is incredible uh on there and starring amber mid thunder and an all native american cast directed by dan trachtenberg who did 10 cloverfield lane and that portal no escape short which some of us have seen before as well and so really kind of taking this on a new installment set in 1719 a prequel of sorts predator coming down challenging this young woman in the comanche tribe she's trying to prove herself and who she is here uh and then in the end has to fight the predator after her and her brother weaken the predator has to fight the predator at the end to prove herself and to prove that she is a warrior so gentlemen let's get your thoughts on it people can watch my spoiler review if they want let's hear from michael and shannon go ahead gentlemen what do y'all think about the movie mikey it's fucking awesome there like it's go. awesome I mean, like, it, it's one of those rare instances where, and I think particularly Predator has had such a dicey cinematic history. I mean, Predator 1, you can call it just a big, dumb Arnold 80s movie, but it's really an excellent film. Yeah. I mean, it takes the entire concept of the most dangerous game, gives it that sci-fi bent, puts Arnold in the middle of it, and gave birth to an alien movie monster that is as popular as the alien character in the Ridley Scott films. Like, the, the Predator is huge. It's just a great idea. It's instantly gettable. And then throughout the rest of his movie-going cinematic history has just not... They've just never been able to recapture that magic. Like, Predator 2, you can say a couple good things about it, but it's kind of a mess. Predators, they tried. It's kind of a mess. Any of the Alien Predators movies, the Predator movie that came out, like, they're all just... It's all just horrible. So to see this movie come out and be a very simple, straightforward story um, that feels 
very modern while at the same time being this gorgeous period piece and kind of just takes that predator mythos and just gets back to basics but still feels fresh and new like to to get anything whether it's in a feeder or on a streamer that's kind of something that you've always loved that hasn't quite ever gotten the respect cinematically that you felt that it really deserved and to watch something happening you're just sitting there you're like this is it like this is what i wanted and you just nailed it it's just a great feeling. Yeah. Shannon, thoughts on the cinematic aspect of it all? Feeling modern, yet very much of its time. What did you think about this film? I mean, it was a blast. It was a blast. And I, I cannot take credit for this statement. It was somebody on Twitter. Um, but they were talking about, had Disney released this in theaters, say the same weekend that they, they put mm-hmm. it out on Hulu, you know, it would have gone up against Bullet Train. and Or, uh, yeah, Bullet Train. Yeah, Bullet Train. And... Uh, I, I really liked Bullet Train, but I like what incredible counter programming to this loud, bombastic, off the wall action comedy to have this very, very quiet, quiet action movie that mm-hmm. I thought worked so, so well. All of the little, little nods to the franchise, you know, Dakota Beaver's character saying, if, if it bleeds, we can kill it not a thing felt fan servicey. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously I think the the Dan Trachtenberg and the writers, I mean, they are banking on the fact that the audience knows a little bit about the Predator. Yeah. Um, but did you do you have to be do you have to watch every Predator movie beforehand? No. You you really only need a cursory a little bit of cursory knowledge about about the franchise to really go and enjoy this movie and it's it like barely. And and the thing that I really loved what they did, and this was something that we had talked about with um, House of the Dragon, was the technological advancement of the Predator. Mm. The fact that the armor was different. It almost looked like a helmet sort of made out of like a, like a bone substance. It, the, the Predator didn't have blasters. Like he, had, he was firing these bolts, which I thought was so, so cool. And uh, I mean, I loved the Assassin's Creed logic of the yo-yo tomahawk i mean yeah i thought it was great does it work in real life of course not but it looked freaking <laughs> awesome and the fact that a supporting character was a dog like i i just enjoyed this enjoyed this so so much and uh dan trachtenberg actually that that uh portal short uh, a friend of mine was the actress in that mm. and and watching where he started with that short to what he's doing now i'm like oh that is for for folks out here, I mean that's inspiring. For fa- for folks yeah. everywhere, that's inspiring. That, that getting to you know getting to make movies as your um, occupation, uh, it's hard, but it's possible. And the it was just so much. It was just such a blast to watch. And I and I have to think that Disney would be mulling over some sort of limited theatrical release now, watching how big. Yeah. this debuted on Hulu because I really do feel like it would be sort of the um, the uh, uh, anti-Morbius where if you put this in theaters <laughs> for a weekend, I mean, I do think people... I'd go see it. Yeah, I'd go see people, it on the big screen. People yeah. would go see it. And I would love to I would love to watch that movie in, 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 in a beautiful, huge theater with incredible surround sound. Yeah, another thing that's inspiring, I think, also is that he has shown a proclivity to have female leads as in his action films, right? Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Portal No Escape, and here in uh, in uh, a Prey. So uh, if I'm a studio looking at a future superhero or future action film, and I'm looking for someone to direct this with a female lead, I'm looking at Dan Trachtenberg, number one on my he, list, because now he's been successful 
in both both with 10 Cloverfield Lane, which I thought was a damn good entry mm. in the Cloverfield uh, franchise, and then this. So he's able to work within existing IP and be able to find new ways in that go back to the basics, yet makes it feel uh, uh, progressive and different. What, what, let's look at the acting here. Mike Amber, Mid-Thunder, uh, certainly she's been a series regular in Roswell, New Mexico, and in Legion, so no stranger to doing these franchise-type things that are attached to a bigger overall story. But also, Dakota Beaver's first time as Taibe, uh as an actor on screen. So what do you think about their chemistry, their work here in the film? Well, it was just really lovely to see just such a natural relationship. I mean, everything about this movie, like it, it, it's all the things that we all as fans say that studios should do that studios almost never do. It was, a, it was a movie that really took its time. Yeah. It, it had a nice slow rollout. You got to spend a lot of time with them as a brother and sister, as these characters. Like before the predator showed up and all hell broke loose, you really were honing in on this 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 girl in this Comanche tribe who wanted to go do this rite of passage to prove that she could do this thing. And her brother kind of knowing that she was good at what she was doing, but still being protective and kind of filling in that balance between him and his buddies who were like the hunting party, who like none of them wanted anything to do with Naru and him kind of being like, look, she's a good tracker. Like all of these subtleties of this relationship, like it just rolled out so naturally. Um, And also to have a character like Naru who fails so many times. Yes. That I mean, this so is a great. movie where yeah. this is a movie where, you know, uh, you had this female character who really wanted to prove herself, but she didn't come out of the gates going, well, I killed the fucking lion and now I killed the bear and you're next predator. Like this whole thing was her rite of passage. Mm-hmm. This whole story was her rite of passage. And she didn't quite get there with the lion. And she was all set for that bear, like not for lack of heart, not for lack of bravery. Like she was in it, but like she never quite got there. And so then when you built to her, then being the only one who ended up being able to go up against this predator. Like it was just such a satisfying story from a character piece. And like, I would disagree with Shannon. I mean, I know you just said barely, so I think we kind of agree, but like the thing that's great about this film is if you've never watched a predator movie in your life, Mm. you get that. Like you get as much information about the predator in this movie as you get in the Arnold movie. Like, you know, you get that like an alien landed, it's hunting. We see him hunt the wolf and then we see him attack the the bear. And you're like, all right, yeah, you're hunting. And then the Indians are like, you know, the Comanches are like, yeah, he's hunting us. Yeah. And then, and then she figures out all the things she needs to figure out. So if you had never seen a predator movie in your life, aside from a couple nods and references and lines, like this is a perfectly satisfying film, which is the same thing that is true about 10 Cloverfield Lane. Mm-hmm. Right. If you didn't see the Cloverfield movies and you just pop on 10 Cloverfield Lane, it's a fucking great movie. Right. You get an so, illusion to the overall universe yeah. of Cloverfield, but you get just just enough. But the rest is all in that house. Yeah, exactly. Shannon, you, what did you think about Amber Mid-Thunder, Dakota Beavers? Uh, Michelle Thrush, who plays the mom there, uh, Naruka. What did you think about the performances from all, from those three main actors here throughout the movie? I think they they did something really successfully because I haven't looked up the entire cast, but especially yeah. with like Dakota Beavers, um, how Clint Eastwood has kind of a uh, he's kind of batting five hundred when he takes actors who've never acted before. Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and you get some really really great performances and some eh, you know not so great. Um, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't have any issue about any of these performances. I thought all of the supporting mm-hmm. cast did a really really great job. I mean the thing with Amber Mid Thunder, which. Uh, watching her again i was like i think she was in hell or high water 
she was the teller Ooh. that small part that the teller when uh uh it's like the second bank robbery the second or third bank robbery where she's in there by herself and to watch the progression of that career and like obviously she'd been a series regular on on a on a series or two in between that again watching that progression of a career i mean she was she was outstanding i mean and and again there there is a quality that certain performers have that you can't teach and and certain performers will never get there i mean it's something just uh just embedded in their dna and she has it i mean it's just that you know it's just that x factor and yeah just watching Watching the progression of her character, I mean, you know, going back, because I actually rewinded uh, a couple of times when she was with the lion. I'm like, all right, did she get it? It looked like she got it. And then watching that pay <laughs> yeah. off a little bit later, especially from her brother, when he's just like, you know, it, the the way that I did it was because of you. You're the one who got it. Yeah. And it was just it was just such a simple, well-told story. And I think that's the that's the challenge that I feel like a lot of um, new filmmakers face is you want to do something revolutionary. You want to do something that no one has ever seen before and setting up sort of these unrealistic roadblocks in front of you can often, that's sort of, you know, that's the pathway to you're not going to succeed. This was taking this very, very simple story of this young woman who wants to prove herself and and (laughs) inside of a predator film. And it, it just worked beautifully and watching the credits Watching the you know the oh, yeah. lines, yeah, it sure seems like the predators are going to come back, right? Um, but we'll see. Well, well, based on I mean, based on the well, I want to say one thing, but then we'll come back to that. Yeah, I think the other thing that they give, like when you watch the trailer and you see her sort of covered in mud, and you kind of go, oh, okay, they're gonna she's gonna get covered in mud the way Arnold did, and then that's not what they did. Mm-hmm. You know, like that mud moment was completely separate, and then they still hit. The lower body temperature predator can't predator can't see me, but they hit it with the flowers instead. And they established that really early on. And then when it came back, you were like, ah, that's brilliant. And so I just really did love how they and this does lead to what doesn't say they know Dan Trachtenberg and the team knew that know the predator franchise so well that not only did they know when to give us the nod, but they also knew when to give us the fake out. Yeah, they knew when they knew when to go. Okay, well, this is what the expectation is. So let's do. Let's we we absolutely want to have a mud thing. Yeah, and we absolutely don't want to use it the way they did in the Arnold movie. And I thought a lot of those things were really clever. Leading up to to your point about the end credit scene, um, the one specific very clear nod to another Predator film right. um, is the gun at the yeah. end. Yeah. So when when the when the Indian chief gives her that gives her that gun, and that is. the exact same gun that the Predators give Danny Glover at the end of Predator 2 once he's kind of proven himself. So, like, you're sitting there watching it at the end and you go, well, okay, she's got the gun. But in 1990s Los Angeles, the Predators have that gun. What's the rest of this story? How does this gun get from Naru to a predator and it kind of gives you this it's a it's a great way of doing a marvel end credit sequence without doing a marvel end credit sequence they didn't do the end credit sequence that gave us the oh but the predators are coming to get you but like if you're if you're just connecting the dots and you are a predator nerd you're like well there's another story here like there's a story where this goes down like what's the next chapter of this does dan trachtenberg already have it figured out and given the uh, massive success it's had on Hulu, it's all but a guarantee that we are absolutely going to get that story. So that's yeah. really, really exciting. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, one or two options, it seems like initially is either because we saw it looked like a team, uh, you know, a, a, a fleet of Predator ships are showing up to the Comanches. Are they going to attack Comanches or are they showing up out of respect to pick up, you know, the head and whatever? And so the chief maybe gives them the gun out of respect warriors to warriors. Maybe that's a part of it. So who knows? But somehow it ends up in their hands in 1980s Los Angeles or something. I mean, if or we get a movie predators. where Naru is now like the uh, the war chief. Yeah. And she trains all the other Comanche Indians on how to take out the Predators and we get a full Predator versus Comanche battle. Right. I will lose my shit. And then I know, I know we're running out of time, but the one yeah. last thing I wanted to say was it gives me a lot of hope for the Alien franchise. I know when Disney bought Fox and everybody was very nervous about all of these things and said, oh, well, everything is going to get Disney-fied. Every, they're not going to make these types oh, of points. movies. They're only going to do these types of movies. Yeah. And now we've gotten a Predator movie direct on streaming on Hulu that by far is more satisfying than almost any Predator movie that we've gotten since the original where they did everything correctly in a way that you wouldn't necessarily think of as a Disney movie it really gives me a lot of hope that we're gonna get uh, some alien stories down the line that uh, that wash that uh, Prometheus and uh, Covenant stink out of my out of my mouth. Uh, uh, poor Michael Fassbender. Um, yeah, and also big shout out to Sarah Shackner's score, which I thought was great, and Jeff Cutter's cinematography. These are some of the most beautiful scenes I've ever seen filmed on uh, on, mm -hmm. on film, and they're incredible the way they they lit them and shot them, and the way Trachtenberg and Cutter worked together with a camera to frame them in a certain way. So it's not only a fantastic action film; it's also a gorgeous film to watch for sure if you're looking at it from just a cinematic point of view for sure uh so we'll see we'll see well let us know what you thought about it as well shannon i think that's the end of the show thank you all so much for joining us shannon what do you what, what do we have to tell them yeah i'd like to follow us on social media on twitter it's at geek underscore buddies on instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies if you'd like to follow me on social media on twitter it's at shannon underscore McClung, on instagram at shannon the geek buddy if you would like to follow mr vogel it is at mk tune if you would like to follow mr roca it is at the roca says mikey um, look, if you like talking about all the latest in DC, Star Wars, Marvel, Fox, any other animation thing, whatever, we talk about all of it, and we are glad that you are here on this ride with us. And here is what you can do to help us keep talking about all the crazy stuff that we love to talk about. Uh, definitely hit that like button below. Leave your comments below. Let us know what you think about everything. What do you think of Prey? What do you think DC and Warner Brothers should do? Because they certainly don't know what the fuck they're doing. So tell them below in the comments what they should be doing. Let us know your thoughts on everything. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Check out all the amazing content he's got there. Um, if you're listening to us uh, on anywhere that podcasts are available, leave us some stars, leave us some comments. It helps us go up in the rankings. And as always, the best thing that you guys can do is retweet this video, uh, post it on your socials, send it to your friends, and tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. Right. Uh, we appreciate it madly. Thank you all so much for watching this episode. And uh, big thanks to Carbon Health as well, who powers and sponsors us here on the Geek, Buddy, Geek Buddies and the Outlaw Nation. Head on over to CarbonHealth.com. They've got 50-plus locations in California, 100-plus locations all over the country there. Both virtually and in-person healthcare is available to you. You can also download their app to have a doc in your pocket for those on-the-go questions and concerns and needs that pop up here. And look, it's getting hotter out there. People are starting to feel more comfortable traveling around. People are starting it's to feel more comfortable not wearing out masks. There. So be careful, be careful, and go and get checked out and taken care of there at CarbonHealth.com. Go and find out where you can see them today. All right. Thank you all so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode here of The Geek.
buddies. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.